0: This show is for you.
1: We promise to bring you real and authentic conversations with parents and experts who are committed to making their family their life's most important work.
0: This show will help you take a stand for your family and to raise your children by design, not default. Okay, everyone, welcome back to the Family Brand Podcast. Aloha from the North Shore of Oahu. And Melissa and I are so stoked to have Barrett and Joey Coleman on the Family Brand Show. Welcome, you guys. Thank Thank you so much. We're excited to be here. Now, okay. First of all, tell us where you are because you have the coolest background of anyone on a podcast. These color-coordinated books, and you were telling me before that we hit record that there's way more of them. Yeah. So I would
2: say what you can see in the shelf is kind of orange through starting of purple, but there's another six bookshelves that way that go orange, red, white, gray. There's another six bookshelves that way that go purple, brown, black, uh, and they kind of loop around. And I would say this represents about a third of the books we have, we we've got a couple of family addictions and one of them is books. And so we try to feed that addiction as regularly as possible. And this is kind of how it manifests itself in the house.
1: It's beautiful. I'd love to um, get a picture. Cause I know, you know, podcasting is an audio. Well, we might go video will... on this one. Oh, we might do video. Okay. Yeah. Good. Because I want people to be able to see it. Cause it is really beautiful. And that's a great addiction to have. How cool.
0: And where, where are you based? Where tell us where your home is.
1: Well
3: currently we're in Fort Dodge, Iowa where Joey grew up. So we've got a little bit of a different different situation for us right now. We've been here for the last year just kind of taking advantage of the strange times of the pandemic and taking advantage of the chance to spend time with family and homeschool our kids here and hang out with their other their five other cousins who live on the same road. So it's been an adventure.
0: That's awesome. And I think that this idea of you guys Moving back to family and even talking about the books feeds into what we're going to talk about today, which is really how to raise inquisitive, curious kids. And I don't know where we're going to go with that completely, but maybe some of that is how to be inquisitive, curious adult and parent. Because one of the things we talk about on the podcast all the time is more is caught than taught. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so you could teach your kids to be inquisitive and be curious by talking to them about it all the time, or you could actually just go be inquisitive and curious and have your kids just observe that and be part of your curiosity, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. I think that that idea of the the what is uh,
2: caught is huge, and the research, as I'm sure you all know, supports that incredibly. I mean, speaking of reading, I, you know, there's fantastic research out there that says the number one thing that you can do to make your children be readers is not to read them bedtime stories, is not to assign them. Books to read and kind of attach that to allowance. Although although those things are useful, the number one thing that determines whether your child's a reader or not is whether or not they see their parents or their guardians reading. And Mm. if they see you reading, they become readers. And it's fascinating when we think about all the effort that I know you two put into your kids and that we put into our two boys of trying to you know, live by the premise that leaders are readers and books have knowledge. And for a couple of dollars, you can get someone's lifetime of wisdom or decades of wisdom condensed into pages. Uh, That idea that what are we doing as parents to try to model the behavior that we hope our boys adopt as well.
0: Yeah. It's like, imagine the difference of our kids catching us. And this is not meant to like guilt or shame just, but it's interesting the times we live in. Imagine the difference between our kids catching us doing this a lot Mm -hmm.
1: on our phones
0: versus, this right, sitting down with a book, and obviously it's going to be a combination of the two, right? But I loved that, and and I think you also said, or maybe it was before we started recording, just even them seeing us read books, but even just their proximity to books, hmm. even if they don't read them right away, just them being around them
3: and the has a greater there on, as well because just having books around your house raises their literacy rates. Having printed material, newspapers, even comics, raises their literacy. It's amazing the correlation.
0: Yeah. that's fascinating to us because so many so many people tell us they come in and they'll see that we have a decent amount of books we have a long way to go we're gonna we are gonna dive deeper into our addiction um
1: yeah a, a good addiction you're aspirational
0: <laughs> so but people will notice we have books they' like why do you guys have books like there's Kindles they're like hey chris you ever heard of like it's 2021 you' ever heard of kindle and i'm like yeah but i just i think and i, I didn't know about this research so you, i wanna i want to um have you send it to us but i just had this I think we've had this intuition, but if there's books here, physical books that our kids can touch and feel and see, I just think they'll grab them and have a greater likelihood. And, and obviously, man, you talk about feeding a kid's desire to maybe naturally be inquisitive or curious, no books. Uh, so I love that. Um, so that, so Joey and Barrett have two boys. Lachlan is eight. Jellin is five. Um he's got the tricky name, it's Chelen, it's like a sorry, Chellen, Chellen. That's okay. You don't even think you even you're, told you're... me before the recording. No, you,
2: You're it. totally cool. I, I I guarantee that the majority of listeners, and I say this respectfully, knowing you have listeners all over the world, unless they are listening from Norway or Sweden, it is highly unlikely they've ever met anyone named Chelen in their life. So Lachlan got my heritage, which is Scottish and Irish, in his name. Chelan got Barrett's heritage, which is Swedish and Norwegian, in his name. So we we definitely uh, know that we've sentenced him to a lifetime yeah. of people not being able to say or pronounce
0: or <laughs> write his name. So yeah, it's cool. It is cool. It's K J E L L I N, right?
2: Yeah, Ian. Yeah, yeah. K J E L L E N. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ian
0: Chellan, Chellen. Lachlan and Chellen. So so yeah, I love this idea, and and I think you know Barrett. I just learned, you know, I, I was thought, I thought Joey was impressive. Um, and then I learned about Barrett. I'm just kidding, Joey. You're both. No, no, you're, you're Chris. You are
2: absolutely right. If I can segue briefly, Chris and I, if I'm remembering correctly, the first time we met was at MMT. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. So we're, so Barrett and I have been going to this MMT Mastermind Talks event for years that our mutual friend Jason Ginnard runs. And the last time we were all at MMT in person together, I'm standing talking to a guy who it's his first time at MMT. And we're talking and he says something about, he's like, Oh, are you married? to you? And I said, Yeah, I am. I said, My wife is here actually. And what you'll find is that people are more excited to talk to her than to talk to me. And he's like, Yeah, yeah, okay. And I kid you not, as if on cue, a guy walks up and he's like, hey, sorry to interrupt. Joey, where's Barrett? And I was like, she's <laughs> over there. He's like, thanks, man. And he walks away. And this guy was like, did you did you plan that? I was like, no, this is the reality of anyone who meets my wife. They're like, that's actually who we want to hang out with and talk to. So you are spot on,
0: Chris, that that is the accurate assessment of this well, relationship. What's so funny about that is I just learned that Barrett, it's not been disputed yet, that Barrett has the longest standing co-working space in the world like one of the started a co-working space long joey was actually a tenant at the co-working space and then slowly played the system to work up to the board and then became the chairman and paid his rent every month on time so he could add so barrett would say yes to asking him out on his first date It's also in web development so barrett's an entrepreneur. Joey's obviously, you know, entrepreneur, you know, one of the books he just, your most recent book, how to, how to never lose a customer, right? Yeah.
2: Never lose a customer again. Yeah.
0: Never lose a customer again. How to turn, how to take any sale and turn it into lifelong loyalty, lifelong customer in hundred days. Right. Yep. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I remember reading that book before you and I really got connected and just blown away by it. But how do you, do you think like being inquisitive and curious has just been natural for the two of you being you kind of are entrepreneurial?
3: I think probably. I think um, both of us are pretty much unemployable at this point because we would probably get stuck in the weeds of whatever company we worked for, just asking all the questions and trying to make things better and more efficient and more effective. I think, but I think it comes out in our language with our kids too. I think a lot of the time with our conversations, I'll, I'll say something like, "Well, I wonder about that," or "I'm not sure about that," or "Let's look that up," or you, can, you know. So our kids will say earlier today, my one of my sons was saying something about, "Well, which which brands of cars can fly into space?" and I was like. You Know I don't think there are any right now, but I'm sure there will be any in the future. <laughs> he was asking. That's amazing. Me. Like which, which is can a truck drive into space? And I'm not sure yet.
2: Yeah. And I, I think both of us greatly benefited from growing up in homes where curiosity was encouraged. Mm-hmm. Reading was a huge part of both of our lives growing up. Travel was a huge part of both of our lives, traveling, uh, having kind of these experience, like over-indexing mm-hmm. on experiences you know, in my family, and this has created some fun conversations for us, but in my family, I think my parents, I say this respectfully kind of took pride in how many days we missed school to be going like on some trip or some adventure. Barrett's was more, a little more focused on, you know, yes, we'll do those things on breaks, like spring break and summer break and things. <laughs> like, and they would miss school too, but it wasn't quite the sport that it was in our family where we were constantly going. And I think that, created a mentality and a life ethos in both of us that when we met each other, it was like, oh, here's someone who has a very similar world blueprint that I do as far as growth and learning. And we've really been able to adopt that as kind of a fundamental tenant or pillar in our family's operation as far as how we're trying to raise our voice. Yeah. I love that.
1: Yeah. What's that? There's a phrase, don't let education get in the way of your of your learning that's what it that's what it or don't let school get in the way of your way
2: or, yeah. education or yeah
3: yeah it yeah been like yeah don't let the, like your that. books
2: get in the way of your learning don't let school get in the way of mm-hmm. your learning absolutely and and that's you know I think a, an experiential life is a much richer life and it doesn't have to be I, I know I, I'm an avid listener to the family brand podcast so it's a huge uh honor to be a guest But I know you were talking about the exercise you did with your kids, where you asked them kind of what their favorite Experiences were. And it wasn't the super expensive vacation. The, oh, we're going to go to Disneyland for five days and stay on resort and do all these things. It was the experiential aspect of little adventures and mini adventures. And we're big believers in that. I mean, it's a crazy time right now. And, uh, you know, our boys are not listeners to the podcast yet. So we can reveal. I mean, we were just meeting last night talking about taking a weekend away at a hotel that has a pool but create some type of a little experience or a little memory for them of, oh, remember that time we just went to the hotel for no other reason than to go to a hotel that had a pool to get a couple of mm. days
0: of swimming. So yeah, we, we try to live it in how we raise our boys as well. That's awesome. Yeah. We just did an episode, I think two or three episodes ago about experiences over things. And that's been a big lesson that Hawaii has taught us. Mm. It's just, you live here and it's things just aren't, a thing as much. I can't, you know, I I don't know how else to explain it. Um, but I love that idea of over indexing on experiences. I'm curious, Joey, because I know one time you and I spoke and which by the way, when we were first starting the podcast, you know, Joey wrote us the nicest rating and review and then said, Hey, I listen to your podcast often, which I was like, Oh, wow. Okay. there's someone out there listening to it. You know, it meant a lot to me that Joey would take the time to listen and know that we're, so that was really cool in the very beginning. But I know you and I talked about both that we've kind of intentionally chosen to create these businesses that they're not massive in nature. We don't have huge teams and tons of employees. And, you know, they, there is an element of scale, but not maybe what you would consider. Do you think, I'm sure it's been intentional, but also is it subconscious because you were so focused and raised about like life was about experiences and life was about the freedom. Has that influenced the, the, the decision behind the type of business you've created?
2: I would say absolutely. I mean, I, you know, interestingly enough, Barrett and I both grew up with fathers who were lawyers and my dad was in private practice. So he basically had his own business from, you know, shortly after I was born uh, for 40 years. And that idea of being able to go on vacation when you want to go on vacation, that idea of being able to, hey, there's, you know, my kid is performing in this thing today or has a track meet or has a basketball game in another town, and I can leave early without having to ask permission from someone to go to those things. Uh, I think was very much part of my mindset, especially once we had kids. You know, one of the real benefits I have of being a speaker and spending a lot of time on the road giving speeches is usually I'm being asked to give speeches in really cool venues at nice hotels in fun places around the world. And I would say for our oldest, for his first year and a half of his life, Barrett and Lachlan traveled with me 99% Mm -hmm. of the time. I mean, for context, he's eight and has been to eleven countries, and our son, Chelan, who is five, has been to nine countries. And a lot of that comes from Daddy has a speech in Australia. So guess what? The whole family is going to Australia. And then we add a week onto the trip mm-hmm. so that it's not just flying in, do the speech, fly out. It's like, no, flying in, do the speech hang out in that town, go visit another town, go to visit another town and actually try to turn it into more of a family adventure.
1: That is cool. And as your boys get older, do you, how do you decide like what you're seeing in those places? Is it getting feedback from them and what they're interested in? Or how do you, how do you plan your trip?
3: Well, when we went to Australia, our, our then like a six-year-old was obsessed with penguins. And we found out that there was a place in Southern Australia, we could actually see wild penguins Hmm. So we made our way down to see the wild penguins specifically for him. Um, and we look, you know, at that I think Australia, we did a lot of we do a lot of um, zoos and, you know, various animal encounters and things like that, just because that's a piece that our kids have loved since they were young. So a lot of it is those types of things. We'll do some you know, historical uh, museums and things like that. Every time we go to D.C., I always take the kids to the Air and Space Museum because they love that. Um, but that's, I think, you know, it's, it's looking at what they're interested in currently really.
0: And I, I don't know if we've talked about this before. Do you, do your boys go to school or do you homeschool or hybrid?
3: Currently they're homeschooled and they've been homeschooled for the last year and a half, but, um, they have been in previously, our eldest was in a Montessori school and we just took him out when we needed to, we didn't actually send him to school until he was in kindergarten. Yeah. And we sent him to school for two years and then moved. So
2: (laughs) it was interesting when we were interviewing the schools to talk about, you know, putting the kids there, we actually met with the head of admissions. And of course, I think lots of times when parents are, you know, the fact that we even do like interviews for kids to go to school is a whole, we could have a whole separate podcast on (laughs) that topic. But, uh, you know, this was obviously, it was our first child going to the school system, our first time we were doing this, and he was going to a great Montessori school that we were trying to get him into in Colorado. And I came to it from the mindset that, we were also interviewing them like they were interviewing us, but we were interviewing, and we both came to it with that concept. Um, but one of the things I said early on is what is your policy on attendance? And before the, you know, head of admissions could answer, I said, cause let me just give you a preview of my beliefs on attendance. Uh, we get to travel all over. And if we have the opportunity to take our kids to see the pyramids in Egypt versus them learning about the pyramids in class, I'm going to want to take them to see the pyramids. And then we'll come back and we'll share with the class the photos and what we learned and to turn it into a report and that kind of thing. And they were like, oh, yeah, that's our model as well. And we're told, you know, the only time we're going to give you an issue on attendance is if it starts to be detrimental to your child. And I was like, great, we are 100% on the same page then. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how we've approached school. And as we think about what school looks like, Post-pandemic, you know, we move more into those environments, I think we'll approach it with that same type of criteria.
3: Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, we we've had a similar thing too, where it's just when our kids were in school, we've homeschooled now for quite some time, but when our kids were in school, just it was it wasn't how does our life revolve around school, right? School can revolve around our life. I also probably wasn't the most popular parent when I would send an email at the beginning of the year to my kids' teachers telling them we didn't do homework in our family. Mm. And teachers would be like, (laughs) what do you mean you don't do homework? I'm like, yeah, we don't, we don't do homework in this family. Like you have them for however long you have them, you know, you can accomplish whatever you can accomplish. And then when they come home, like we want our kids back, you know, type thing. But I love that just kind of this taking back your family in that way. Hey, we're going to, we're going to travel. We're going to explore, you know, um, adventure and expose our kids to experiences. I do love what you said though, Barrett about, I think whether you're homeschooling or not, I think one of the one of the things, and we've probably even ventured more and more towards unschooling, mm-hmm. where there's a, a couple subjects, but for the most part, it's pretty like open learning. I do think though, one of the things that it requires is to pay attention to what their natural curiosity is and then lean into that. So, like you said, hey, we know that our son loves penguins. We're gonna be trying, let's see if there's something about penguins. And I'm sure he blew his mind, right? To see penguins in the wild.
3: Absolutely.
0: Mm-hmm. We yeah, can you just talk about like how do you I mean, we've talked about books, Mm -hmm. right? We've talked about travel. Is there anything specific, though, you would share as best practices of like, how do you really foster curiosity or help kids to be more inquisitive?
3: Well, I think part of it does go back to books. I mean, we you know, anytime I hear someone's interested in a certain topic, I'll pick up a book on it and, you know, have it ready. And they may not pick it up right away but it's ready. And, you know, my, our younger son is into dinosaurs. And so he has been into dinosaurs for three years. I have tons of chapter books now in dinosaurs because he's now reading at the chapter book level that, you know, and he's excited at night before going to sleep to pick up his chapter book about the dinosaur, you know, the dinosaur detective or the dinosaur that this or that, you know? So I think we start with that. So dinosaurs, foxes, badgers are our big topics right now, but any, but seriously, anytime my, one of my sons says like, Oh, that book looks fun. Okay. Okay going on. It's, it's, it's arriving from Amazon. I mean, it's just, I don't question it. So it's ready for them. That's and, I awesome. think, and I think the other thing is we, you know, a lot of it is around nature. Like we, we bring them outside. We go on nature walks. Our, our, my brothers-in-laws are very familiar with the trees and the different plants around here. So what's, what's that tree boys? Where's, what kind of moss is that? What, you know, tell us about, tell us about the cornfields, you know, to every single day around here, there's something that they learn about the current, the, the, their, their environment in this
1: area. It reminds me, I love that. It reminds me of when our second Tanner, when he was just learning how to read, he was not he was not that engaged in reading like his older brother had been. And it wasn't until we went to the library and he loves sports. So he went to the library and he just gravitated to some of those picture sports books. And that is how he learned how to read, was reading something he was truly interested in. And he he never looked back. He loves reading now. He'll read all kinds of things, but That was like his first taste of, of wanting to read.
0: Oh, on our, on our six week trip to the mainland, he read 13 books and some of them are like 400 page fantasy. I'm like, I didn't, I haven't read a 400 page book. I don't know if I've read a cumulative 400 pages in like how long, much less (laughs) one, but like, that is a really good point. Um, so, so Barrett, you, and I love this and that's kind of, I think maybe a little bit of the mindset we've adopted. If your child's like, Hey, I'm interested in something for you buying a book, it's just, no, almost no amount of money you'll you'll spend. It's just an investment, right? Yeah, it's the way you look at it.
3: We're not, we're not, we don't spend willy nilly on other things, but books. That for me is the one thing I love. Yeah, that, and, and we
2: recognize mm-hmm. that we're in a a very fortunate position yes, really. to be able to spend, you know, to never say no to a book mm-hmm. purchase. Now, to Barrett's point, we pay attention. You know, we say no to toy purchases mm-hmm. all the time. Where it's like, yeah, no, we are we are not getting that more you things. Know, yeah. Ju- just is, because yeah. we've gone to the store doesn't mean everybody needs to come home with a new toy. Like, no. And and <laughs> they're, they're, I, I'm not being critical of our boys or anybody who's listening to this to resonates with that. You know, I think that's the nature of children growing up in a society where everything is about marketing. And this is coming from a guy who spent over a decade running a marketing agency. Right. I understand why that is. <gasps> But we've just made the decision that as it relates to our own family and the investments we're making, as you can tell from the books in the background, you know, we also don't hesitate to buy books ourselves, knowing full well that we are going to buy some books that we will never read. Totally. That's just a reality. Like, there's not enough hours in the day to read all the books That we already have. And yet we keep getting more books. Somebody might look at that and say, well, that's, that's silly. That doesn't make sense. And it's like, well, on one hand, yes, I can understand that. But on the other hand, we've just made the decision that being surrounded by books, being immersed in books, being able to reach out and grab the book is a different experience than going online and doing a search. Like, it's, you know, uh, when we were growing up, not to date the four of us, well, maybe Barrett and Melissa probably fall don't fall into this as much as Chris and I do. But, you Thank know, you. if you wanted to do a, a report, you had to get the encyclopedia. Like, that, that's, that was your resource if you right, had to right. do a book report for school. And now, you know, kids are doing book reports and it's like, oh, go on Google and the book report's done in 10 seconds. Whereas... I remember looking at the encyclopedia going, okay, the thing I was searching under isn't here. So what are the other words that I could search under to maybe find something remotely cross referential that I could, you know, write about as well. And so that idea, I think of having books around for kids to explore is really valuable. And to your point, Melissa, you know, the library is also an amazing tool. Mm-hmm. Most people listening, and I say this respectfully, haven't been in a library recently. In your public library, go into your, they have all the books and they're there and they'll happily help you find other yeah. ones. And kids love that. Mm-hmm. They love being able to be, and we go in and it's account number. We'll go into the library and say, okay, 10 books, whatever 10 books you want. Cause to your point earlier, Melissa, it's not about are your, it's my personal belief that it's not about are my kids reading the right books? It's are my kids reading? Mm-hmm. Like if they're reading, we're winning. Like as parents, like I I don't care if they're reading magazines, comic books, traditional books, fantasy, science, traditional literature, stuff that was written 200 years ago, stuff that was written last week. I don't care as
0: long as you're reading. Yeah, I love that, Joey. And and here's the thing, though, too, about reading books online. Again, not no judgment, but there's been some times where my son will say, hey, dad, I really want to I really want to wa- really check this book out. But. I don't want to wait till they go to the library. Can I read it on the iPad? And I'll come in and it, it's, a, it's especially our son interested in sports. It's like somehow we went from reading the book to now ESPN.com. And it's in his mind. He's not even consciously like, I, didn't, I don't even know how I got here, right? But it's because I'm on the device. It's like, yeah, I can go to Google and I can read a book and I can finish the book report. But there's all the other things that I can get sucked to, myself included. Look, if I read books on my phone, which I had before. Well, there's everything else I can access to on my phone. But if I'm just reading a physical book, it's just the physical book. Um, so I think there's some, And so you guys are answered my question. I was going to ask. We're still like we're one of the only families we know that goes to the public library on a probably weekly basis. And we, and what's cool is the library here, the one of Wailua, they still old school stamp. It's an old library, like how we were kids. And they stamp it. They stamp the return date. And our kids just think it's the coolest thing and we have to limit how many books they can bring home. It's never an issue yeah. trying to get them to get books. Oh, totally. We're the, we're the, that's why when I was when saying 10, serious. it's not you get to get 10.
2: It's we're only getting 10. Yeah. This time. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. And then next time we'll go back and get in 10 more or lots of times when mommy goes, it's where each get everybody's getting 38 books today. And
0: I'm like, okay, we're carrying yeah. out 38 books per kid. Why not? But to your point, if, if it's like, well, man, I'm, I'm just not in a position to, buy books on it. We know we're not in that financial position. It's like, man, there are so many amazing books. You can get a free library card, go down to the library. And there's just this physical experience. Again, it's an experience that I think, unfortunately, lots of kids just don't get to experience. I don't know, Melissa, if you want to say anything about that, or I'm glad you brought it up. Cause I was going to ask you if you It's like, do you still take your kids to a public library? But we're going today. Like it's just, I just think it's a really cool thing to do. Like I think more families should go to their public library and check out physical books
2: it it's an easy experience and mentor what and you the what you do with the Kindle the, the, mm, I the, download
3: I download books from the library and the Kindle as well I don't the, the boys aren't reading on Kindles yet and we're not sure at what point they'll do that but I I have an old school black and white Kindle doesn't have mm-hmm. anything flashy and you I can't access it. the internet on it no and the boys know what I'm doing when I'm reading it when I'm See sleeping that? as they're going to sleep they know I'm. mommy's reading her Kindle she's reading a book
0: that that would be a solution I would be willing to Mm-hmm. venture into with the, with the kids for a tablet. Yeah. I wouldn't want it to be able to access any other apps or dev- it's like, you just, you know, it's just for reading, but.
1: Yeah. I, um, I'm, I'm going to get emotional about this and I'm like, why am
0: I you're going to so get emotional about a public about library
1: a because I left for this. We, so I've lived in like Arizona my whole life. So coming to Hawaii is my first time leaving home, I guess you could say. So when we went home this summer to my we stayed with my parents for a few days. I like they always had so many books like everywhere. And I just had never like fully realized that until I left and came back. And my kids wanted to read something and we were just like pulling books off the shelf and they were, we were like looking for specific books and they were like there available like to my kids off the shelf. And I was like so grateful that I grew up in the home where I could any anytime I wanted, I could pull a book off the shelf and I could read about, about anything that I wanted to. And my mom always took me to the library. I, I never fully appreciated it until going back this summer. And I'm like, what an amazing gift I was I was given.
0: Absolutely. To that point, to come bring a full circle of this podcast, Melissa read a book when she was like nine. Mm-hmm. She read Richard and Linda Iyer's book, Teaching Your Children Values.
1: Just a book that I pulled off the shelf <laughs> at home, you know, that my parents just had. I don't know if they read it more than once, but it was still there, like available.
0: And she was like fascinated with it at nine years old and was like, and, you know, come full circle, the family brand, you know, and it's just, yeah, that's cool. Um, someone asked me too. I don't, I don't want, I don't know that I didn't mean to turn this into a device conversation, but you know, our 14 year old, you know, doesn't have a phone still. And to a lot of people that kind of is crazy, right? That our 14 year old doesn't have a phone and we don't know when we'll get him a phone. He's not asking for one, but I've had a few families ask or, you know, parents just say, Hey, why, why do you think your 14 and 12 year old aren't begging for phones or aren't asking for phones? And, and they're like, what do they do with their time? And I was like, well, they actually read a lot. And they're like, what do you mean? They read a lot. Like, how do they have time to like, you know, but I think there's a correlation between that. Like, I think. I'll go, I don't have research to back this up, but I would say that the longer maybe we wait to give our kids their own dedicated device, maybe the more curious they are naturally, and the likely, more likely they are to read physical books. I, it, that's just been a little bit of our experiment, our experience.
3: Yeah, we and we haven't decided specifically on our age requirement for a phone either, but I mean, I'm w- looking to push it as long as possible. And also, you know, not necessarily the, the time suck is one reason, because as you say, that, that takes away from reading time. But the other thing is the, you know, the social media, um, the way it changes their brain and the, the way that their, their, their confidence plummets and, you know, there's, there's research left and right on it. And if you, there, there are so many articles I read that talk about the the technologists who actually created these amazing technologies. And don't get me wrong. I love technology. I love my iPhone. I love my Kindle, but the technologists who created these these devices have said that they don't want their own children on it. And that to me should be an eye opener for all of us because of what it does to their brains. And they're, they're so hooky and hooky. And you know, my my attitude is I'm going to push it. And we have our eldest son is like, he loves technology and he would get a phone right now if he could, but I'm just going to wait as long as I can. And yeah. I'm going to, I know he's going to be asking left and right, but it, to me, it's just not, if you can, if you can, yeah. I, I would rather sure. not. And I, rather I, also, wait.
2: I also think that I think it's really easy to pile on no screen time. Right. The reality is, you know, as we've talked about a couple of that, Barrett and I are both, Uh, students of research and like, okay, so we have this opinion. Why do you have that opinion? What is that based on? What is the research? What are the elements? You know, what's fascinating is all the research, when you hear people say, oh, well, kids shouldn't be on screens, you should limit the amount of time on screens. The last time I checked, which was probably six months to a year ago, so this might be dated, there had never actually been done research on children with screens. What they had done is they went to the American Pediatric Association. And they said to all these pediatricians, well, what do you think the number should be? And they came up with a number and they said, well, that's the recommendation. Well, the recommendation wasn't based on research. It was just based on, hey, well, this is what it is. But here's the interesting thing. And you, you talked about this on a, an episode on the podcast not too long ago, Chris. And I appreciated what you were sharing about your own challenges with the screen, because I have those challenges too. It's really brazen to me to say, my boys can have no more than 30 minutes a day off screen time. If I get 18 hours a day of screen time, like, wait a second, what what is this like? And the reality is our children are growing up in an era where screens are going to be a bigger part of their lives than they were of our lives. That is the nature of the fact that there's a screen on everything now and the internet of things and your refrigerator sending you emails about, you know, the temperature of your your vegetables. And like, this is the world we're living in and it's the world our children are going to live in. What I want, the the big, I would say one of the biggest philosophies we have in our family is trying to teach our boys that everything is a choice. And we talk about choice all the time. Oh, was what kind of choice was that? Now there's a good choice. There's a bad choice. There's a fast choice. There's a slow choice. We try to avoid the right choice and the wrong choice because that gets into layers that sure, there are some things that are wrong, but the recovering lawyer in me says, I can take any wrong choice and tell you about a time when that would be the right choice. Like I can create and justify out a scenario. But what we try to do is say to the boys, like, okay, you have a choice. Do you want to have some free iPad time right now? Or would you like to have some Harry Potter time? So like we're reading the Harry Potter books with our boys and we're going through them. And regularly our boys will say, we'd like a chapter of Harry Potter instead. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Sometimes they say, we'd love to have some free time on our iPad right now. Okay, great. And they're limited to what they can do. We don't let them just surf the net. And they're obviously not on social media. But it's like, I I think the verboten, you may not do this. We're going to set a timer. You're just setting yourself up, I think, as a parent for a lot of challenges. And don't get me wrong. This is an evolving conversation for us with our boys. It's like, okay, 30 minutes because mom needs 30 minutes to figure out dinner and they're like, you're just so wild and ramped up right now.
3: (laughs) Okay. I have to get, I have a client call. And so 30 minutes is there, you know, It's their their little babysitter for 30 minutes.
2: Yeah. Or we're flying to Australia and it's like, okay, guess what? You're going to get some decently open time on watching movies and iPads, just like everyone else on the plane is because it's for the safety and sanity of everyone on (laughs) the plane (laughs) that you're not crawling off the top of the ceiling of the plane while we're trying to get to Australia. So I I think what I'd love to see is more parents just be gentle with themselves Mm -hmm. about the screen time and recognize that all those things you're reading about, it has to only be X amount of minutes or days or else you're ruining your children. No, it, that
0: there's no, there's no proof of that. Yeah. Well, I, to that point, I've actually seen that like in, in a lot of ways screens and what our kids have been able to watch in documentaries and things have been huge fosters of creativity, right. Or or curiosity and like being inquisitive. So one of the things I did want to touch on. So I think there's so many applications, Joey, from your most recent book and your philosophy and your genius in that area, right? Um, that apply to families. And I know we Chad, we yeah, will you just share a little bit about that concept of how it applies in business and what you think the overlap is to a family?
1: And before you jump in, tell us the name of your book again so we can get like the the direct correlation that, that Chris is talking about.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So the book is called Never Lose a Customer Again. And the entire premise of the book is the reason we lose customers as business owners, as businesses, is because our customers feel neglected. They feel that they don't matter. They feel that they're a number. They feel unappreciated. And so my book outlines a framework of what you can do to create personal and emotional connection with your customers to keep them coming back for more, to keep them in the fold, to keep them retained. And one of the things I talk about in the book is that I believe there are six tools you can use to communicate with your customers. You have in-person interactions, you have emails, phone calls, direct mail, Videos and presence. And so those are the six tools. And what I found is that most businesses over index or over rely on one or two of those tools. Usually it's email, right? And I don't know about you, but I'd ask anybody listening, you know, I can't see you, but raise your hand if you wish you were getting more emails.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and
2: I guarantee no hands just went up. Like nobody wants more emails. And yet that's the number one tool most businesses use to communicate with their customers. So when we think about a family context, when I think about those six tools, I think about, well, how are we using those six tools in our interactions with our loved ones? Now, hopefully we're not sending them a boatload of emails when they're, you know, five years old, eight (laughs) years old, 10 years old. But, you know, I know Barrett's parents send us emails regularly and we don't get to see them as much. So email is one of the communication tools. With little kids, obviously, in-person is going to be the number one tool you're defaulting to the most. But if all of your effort for the first 18 years of your life, or however long it is before the kids move out or move away from your town, is focused on in-person, what happens when they move away? They go to college, they go to a high school outside of your community, they get married, they move to another community. If your belief is the only way we can have connection is if we're in-person, Well, now you've just dramatically limited the number of opportunities for personal and emotional connection because you've said, well, the only way we can actually have connection in this family is if we're all together. And Goodness, when they get married, if they choose to get married and have a partner that their family wants to celebrate holidays with them, now you're in the holiday dance, right? Of, well, who gets Christmas? Who gets Thanksgiving? Who gets whatever? And you're re- reducing it even more. So, one of the things we've been exploring is, well, what are the things that we can do to bring some of those other tools to bear now so that we're building the muscle for that tool with our boys later? Mm. So, writing them a thoughtful note. And maybe even mailing that. So occasionally, if I go on a road trip, I'll mail a postcard to the house, to the boys. Now, lots of times I beat the postcard back. In fact, almost every time I beat the postcard back, but then they get some mail and it's like, oh, daddy thought of us when he was away on that trip or making them videos or doing things that, you know, let them know that we can communicate in ways other than in person and that that has tangible value for them going forward.
0: It's amazing.
1: Yeah. I've never, I've never considered that idea before because you're right as you know, we're all here in this home together, but there will be a time when that is not the case anymore. And I never considered like, Oh, we need to have other tools in place to continue that connection. You know, and we're not all under the same, the same roof. I love, yeah. I love that idea in, in ways that you're doing that now. Do you have any other examples of, you mentioned the
3: postcards. Yeah. Do you have any other yeah. Examples? videos? videos? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say part of it also just comes down to like ritual around some of these things. So, for example, our boys do the, the they do the five minute journal. So we sit with them and write. They write what they're grateful for in the morning and what they what they learn throughout the day. And in a sense, that's, our, you know, our eventually that will be something that they will read later on that they wrote to themselves. And so I think that's another kind of communication tool.
2: Yeah. And I also don't think it's just for your kids. This can work Mm -hmm. for your siblings and your parents. Like we have a, like most families, I think in 2021, we have a family text thread and it's, you know, I'm one of seven kids and it's the siblings and the spouses and my parents and we, and stuff in there sometimes like, here's, You know, one of my brothers was at the Ryder Cup this weekend and sent photos of he and his wife and their three kids at the Ryder Cup. And so they put it on the family text thread and everybody gets to see it. Sometimes one of the brothers will drop a joke in there and there's playfulness, there's seriousness, there's, oh my gosh, so-and-so we just had to take to the hospital for XYZ, we'll keep you posted. So it's become another way to keep everybody in the loop. And then, you know, to be honest, we have a brother's thread. I have four brothers. And the brother's thread is just the brothers. And it's a very different tone and tenor of conversation <laughs> on the brother's thread than the family thread. But that's okay. And so I think there's the opportunity. You know, we talked so much about technology at the beginning and kind of the ills of technology. Well, there's some real upside of technology, too. My, You know, several of my brothers live hundreds of miles away. I don't get to see them as much as I would like. And frankly, we don't even get to talk on the phone as much as I would like. But a text message... With even with a text video, shoot a little video and send it via text, it's not as good as being there in person, but
0: it's at least better than nothing. That is interesting because I'm thinking about now, I think almost every trip I've ever gone on, it, but it wasn't intentional, just kind of start something. I, st- I would send a, a text, a video text every morning I was gone. And yeah, that, but, but to have an intention behind that and starting an to exercise that muscle now, I love that. And by the way, do you guys have to be done at the top of the hour? we're good. Okay. I just, I, I want to ask one more. Go ahead.
1: And I was just say, I think as you mentioned it that way, we have experimented not on purpose with that a little bit this year, being away from family, like I mentioned before, for the first, for the first time we are relying more, especially with the kids grandparents on, you know, that video, you know, the FaceTime or whatever, um, Ivy and tay they've baked before with Chris's mom, you know, over the video, and they're still finding ways to, To connect, but it's different than, you know, in person, but still like just as meaningful. I don't feel like we, the relationship has at all, you know, suffered by not being able to be together in person.
2: Yeah. And I would posit it probably, well, I'll I'll speak for myself, but it wouldn't surprise me if the same held up for not only your children, but your parents, Mm -hmm. it hasn't diminished it. It's actually extended it. And it's Mm -hmm. it's kept it going, especially in this crazy time we've been in for the last 18 months globally, with everyone being in positions where you couldn't see loved ones as much as you would want or in the same way that you wanted. Thank heavens for technology. Like, what would we have done? Like, every you know, if we didn't have computers and cell phones, I mean, people, they would have done what they did in the Middle Ages when there was a plague. And you wrote letters and you hoped that that got through to the person, but you had no idea until maybe months later you got a letter back. The fact that we have some real-time communication, to me, I'd love to just see us use it more intentionally. To your point, Chris, it's like, okay, we've got the tool. How are we going to use it to deepen the connection with our family, as opposed to using it? What a lot of us, and I'm guilty of this too, as a way to separate from the family. Hey, we're all sitting watching a movie together. I'm going to be on my phone. No, put the phone down. Watch the movie. Like, be part yeah. of the the experience. But if I am going to be away for work or for family vacation or even just you know, we're big fans of just even like, go away, mom, have a, have a weekend to yourself, like just some recoup time that creates a way for there to be some contact. And, you know, we did, I know we have a mutual friend in Philip McKernan, who's just an awesome human being. And Barrett and I went and did a week with him in Ireland, each of us separately. And, One of his things for that trip is he encourages people not to be on their phones or to not use their phones. And so, because we knew that we actually pre-shot videos and I texted them to Barrett and then Barrett would be like, here's the video from daddy today. Even though technically I'd shot that video four days before, here's another video from daddy. And so it was like, we could keep the communication going while still respecting a little bit of a
0: digital detox.
3: Mm
0: -hmm. I love that. Yeah. And that, I th- and I think that's what you know. Your, the book "Never Lose a Customer Again" it's it's really helping business owners just think more intentionally about how to how to more intentionally use the tools already available to them. And, but again, when I when I thought about that, "Never Lose a Customer Again," I immediately thought like "Never Lose a Family Member Again" or "Never Lose a Family Relationship Again." Like you know, we can use these same tools and those same principles to be just be more intentional about how we stay connected as a family. And I think that's for Melissa. She talks about that all the time. Is you know she wants our she wants us to be as close 20 30 40 years from now as we are today and to create relationships that last which is actually it's really uncommon most families it's rare that we ever see adult children right who are still close connected have strong relationships they might do the you know the obligatory obligatory um christmas or you know but man when we do see it we're like wow look at that look at those four siblings, those three siblings, those six siblings, they still are like best friends with each other. And they talk every day or they text, you know, every day or every week. It's like, what did they do? What did their parents do to create those relationships that last? There is one last question I wanted to ask you guys that we touched on kind of circling back to this idea of of curiosity. And, And I want to talk just really quickly, specifically about travel. We were on a plane. Was it to Guatemala? We were, we were flying to Guatemala with our three oldest, and it was one of the first times we traveled internationally.
1: The first time we had flown internationally, other
0: than yeah, flown. We'd, we've driven to Mexico quite a few times living when we lived in Arizona. And this teacher, she said she was a professor, retired. But what she, what did she say? She could tell in the first week of her class.
1: Yeah, we were at an we were at an event actually in Guatemala. We were attending the same wedding event together, and we were on a little bus going to part of the celebrations and yes. Yeah, so we had a long conversation with her about this. And she basically said she could tell very quickly her students that had traveled a lot. She said the way that they presented in class, the way they interacted with her. Do you remember what
0: she said? That, that she they, said? I, I wouldn't know if they did, but I could tell just in how they showed up in their demeanor. She's like, and she'd always say, Hey, did you travel a lot? Did your parents travel? I was like, Oh yeah, we traveled a lot. And I just thought that was interesting. And she was impressed that we had brought our kids to Guatemala. Cause she's like most, you know, it's easy not to, We just talk about specifically, because I know we talk a lot about books, which I love, and whether it's international travel or it's traveling around in your own little town or city, what do you think it is about travel that feeds curiosity so much in kids?
3: I think there's some confidence that gets built. I know that at least for our kids, our kids are really confident speaking to almost anybody because they've been in different countries and try to communicate to different people you know, trying, you know, pigeon English and different you know, trying to like, you know, where's the bathroom or things like that. Or they've just also met different people on airplanes or in other situations, buses, you know, uh, lounges at the airports and things like that. So I think there's the confidence that we've noticed with our kids. I think there's also kind of an understanding of the the, the shape of the world, too, and kind of where they are in the world, where they've lived. They've lived multiple places. Where has that been? They, our kids are very good about knowing a lot of the states in the United States. So they've, they, they, they know that they've been to, you know, twenty or 50, forty states. I, you know, I can't remember exactly, but they've been to a number of states, and they want to know, have I been to that state? What did we do there? To kind of get a sense of what that, how far away that state is. So when they meet people, they have kind of a, a context for them. Oh, you're from Boston. Oh, I remember we went to the public library in Boston. That was where they had the. Um, the really fun place setup, you know, so they have so it's it's fun for them to to make connections in that way. So I feel like there's that piece too. There's a connection. They have a they have context for people. They have confidence. I think all of those are really big,
2: yeah. and it, I would say it was also like there there's such amazing benefits that come out of it. I think the thing that, creates the greatest level of hesitation from parents, especially when it comes to planes. So I spend a lot of time on planes and by a lot for context in 2019, I flew 160,000 miles on Delta, like a lot of time on airplanes. And what I often see with people getting on planes with children, it's, it's almost like they're apologetic for bringing their children on the plane. And like, I know for a while, there was this thing where people were like handing out bags of candies and treats to the other adults on the plane, as like a hey, sorry, we brought our infant on the plane. And there's this, I, I mean, at the risk of ranting a little bit here as we <laughs> at the end, like it just drives me insane. Like, don't do that. You don't have to do that. It's okay. Like that little human that is, you know, a six-month-old on the plane has as much right to be on that plane as the business executive flying in first class. Totally. Like everybody bought a ticket. Everybody can be on the plane. And guess what? If in this day and age you're getting on a plane and you don't want to hear the baby crying, if the baby is crying, bring headphones. Like, solve your own problem. Like, you're (laughs) not going to be able to navigate through life to have life always show up exactly the way you want it. Like, just embrace. And I guarantee, having been that parent with the kid on the plane, when the child is crying, you know who's struggling the most? The parent. Totally. Not the other people in row 78 listening to the child. No, the parent who is sitting there like, oh my gosh, why won't they stop crying? I've tried to do everything I can. Like every parent tries to soothe their child when they're upset. You know, we had a bunch of tactics that we developed early on that helped with that. You know, we would, we had a rule that you only had to hold the crying baby on the plane for five minutes. So as soon as the baby started crying, we'd quick set a timer. And at five minutes, hand the baby to the other parent with the idea being that lots of times when the baby's crying, we get upset and then the baby picks up on that. And then the baby's upset. Mm. And what we found is we, I don't think we ever had to hand back and forth more than once. It's like, as soon as the baby went to the other parent, that wasn't the one that was holding the crying baby, the baby would start to calm down. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, because they're picking up on mom or dad or, mm-hmm. you know, aunt or uncle or grandma or grandpa, whoever's holding him's energy. So, you know, we figured out a lot of tactical things. We added an hour. You know, Barrett came to me fairly early on with our oldest lockdown and she was like, I would love it if we, because I was always the like okay, the airline says you have to be there an hour before, but really you only have to be there 30 minutes before. So (laughs) as long as we're there 25 minutes before, we're still making this flight. And I would just skate on, you know, and run. And early on with our son, with our oldest son, Barrett was like, can we just start being there an hour and a half before? And it completely changed our experience because at an hour and a half before, guess what? Everybody gets to go to the bathroom. Everybody gets to get a drink of water. The baby gets to get a diaper change right before you get on the plane. So you're not changing the diaper on the plane, if at all possible. Although we've done that too. And it's an adventure and, you know, you deal with it. I remember one time in particular, I went to change our son in the back and I came back out and we, it was very nice. We had been upgraded, you know, we were flying for this work thing. And I come walking back to our seat, holding our son in nothing but his diaper because he had torched the outfit. Like the the diaper blowout had been so bad that I actually had to leave the onesie in the bathroom, in the like airplane trash can in the back, because I was like, I I literally can't bring this back to our seat or we are going to have a major crisis with everybody getting sick on the plane. And we laughed at it. And, you know, she was like, oh, you didn't take a spare outfit with you, did you? I was like, no, I did not. Hopefully we have one in the diaper bag. Otherwise we're flying in a diaper for the rest of this flight. Like that's just the way it is. And just recognizing that it's gonna be okay. Mm -hmm. And if you want your children to be travelers, if you want them to explore the world, if you want them to be curious, I believe you have to create opportunities for them to do that early on. Mm -hmm. Last thing I'll say, because as you tell, I have some strong opinions on this topic. Early on, when we were dating, I think we were dating, we might have just been married, but we didn't have kids. One of our friends had kids. And they were saying that, well, now that they had kids, they weren't going to be able to fly for a couple years because they didn't want to have to take a baby on an airplane. And I remember we left this dinner with this, this couple and their newborn. And I remember saying to Barrett, like, I, I, I never want to be that couple. I under every couple makes their own decisions, but I'm like, what's it going to be like when they try to take that child on a plane at six or seven, I think it's going to be a lot harder Than if they would have taken the child on the plane earlier and now the child is like our boys, they know what the airplane routine is. And I, I recognize we are very privileged to be able to fly with our children and that extra plane tickets cost money. But you know, when extra plane tickets don't cost money is before you're two, when you can ride your mom and dad's lap. So actually that's the best time to try. It's the cheapest time to travel with your family. So why not do it then? And yes, I understand that. Well, they won't have the memories of wherever we go. You know who will have the memories? The parents. We have the memories of our little boys there and we have pictures that then they look at and it's like, look, you were at the Golden Gate Bridge when you were, you know, 18 months old. You see
3: the Eiffel Tower. Yeah, (laughs) and,
2: and they may not remember it, but they were there. And now it's, can we go back? Could we go back so that I could see it again? Yes, absolutely. And now we're raising travelers and hopefully citizens of the world that recognize that even though they were born in the United States, there's a lot more of the world to see than
0: just the United States. I love everything. I love the rant because I've had it plenty of times myself. Um, and it's so funny. It, recently, our five-year, uh, our our youngest Indy, who's four, she'll see pictures and she's say, "Okay, so in that picture, was I was I there in your belly, or was I there like there?" You know, she wants to know because that again, even you know, and, and one of our family values is Mr. Adventurous, and Melissa has the funniest story about the other day they went out for a homeschool activity with a bunch of families and got in a boat, and it got a little bit rough. With, they had all the little kids in a boat because uh, at low tide, you could walk it out to this Island called goat Island. As the tide got a little higher, you know, you got, so the moms were kind of up to their chest coming back in this boat and it was fine.
1: It was a little more waves than I had anticipated than she had anticipated, but we got out to the Island and she was like, that was an adventure. <laughs>
0: and Smiths are <laughs>
1: <Smith's our> adventurous. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> so
0: oh my but, gosh. I love it. But my, your point about like children, we remember early on, we've, we had our oldest son, Tate, and a lot of our friends started having their oldest. And so we would say like, hey, let's let's get together Friday night and have dinner and a movie. All the couples would be like, oh, we we can't have dinner. We can't do a movie because we're be like, why? And they're like, because well, our baby has to go to bed. And so they'd be like, "But well, we could do it at our house if you guys come over here. And we're like, yeah. And they're like, well, what are you going to do with your baby? Like, well, we'll bring a pack and play. We'll just put our baby down to bed at your house. It's like, I, I just don't buy into this idea and this excuse of we can't do life anymore. Because we have kids and not, I don't mean this disrespectfully. Creative, yeah. mm-hmm. Go ahead, Barrett.
3: I was going to say there are ways to get creative. And we were lucky that our boys didn't have any ear issues for the plane travel. I know there are kids that have that legitimately and are unable to travel for the first three or four years of life. Really? And, you know, we got really creative with the sleeping as well. Our kids were able to sleep in different places, which is not always the case. But I think if you tr- if you play around with finding a dark room at somebody's house or I mean, we, we did all of those things at different places. And we were able to make yeah. it work
2: or even deciding we decided fairly early on we weren't going to do quiet house. The baby sleeping. Yeah. Because it was like, OK, great. So then we're creating a human being who can't sleep unless there's silence. Uh, wow. I, I I certainly have benefited dramatically. I can fall asleep any place, anytime, anywhere. And <laughs> I think part of the reason for that is I grew up in a family with seven kids and it was it was just, I literally grew up in the circus. I mean, it was constant <laughs> pandemonium. But as a result, I have this skill set that is, has served me incredibly well as far as when and where I can sleep. And so we tried to, to do some of those things. I, I think at the end of the day, we have choices, parents. Are, are we inviting our children into our life or are we reshaping a life around our children? Totally. And I think I think there's a time and place for both. I don't think it's a zero-sum game. There are times where it needs to be about the kids. There are times when it needs to be about the parents. But I think it, as long as you create that dynamic where there's some flexibility for the two, it just makes for a happier situation. Because understandably, how could a parent not be resentful about their child if it's like, well, since I had you, I can't go out anymore. Yeah, Since I had you, we can't go to our friends anymore. Like yeah. Even if they never verbalize that, I guarantee that synapse is firing in their brain saying, well, it used to be that I could do these things that now I can't. That's, that's a lot to put on a kid who's especially an infant. who's like, I'm just here. Like I didn't sign up. Like you brought me here and now I'm just trying to exist.
0: No, I love this though. I really do think it's so profound. And I, I agree. There is a time and place. It's not a zero sum game, but at the same time, it's like, rather than put your life on hold because of your kids, like invite your kids to just come do life with you. Like, it's not a reason to put your life on hold. And I think if you model that, you know, even, even here in Hawaii, our oldest son was like, hey, mom and dad, you guys haven't done your quarterly getaway yet in Hawaii. Like, when are you going to go do your quarterly getaway? You know, it's just like, because he, he he knows we're going to do it. And, and we hope that we're modeling for him that he does that someday with his wife, right? That he makes that a priority. But I just, I love this idea that one of the ways we can foster curiosity in our children and help them be more inqu- inquisitive is to just bring them On the journey with us like invite them to come do life with us their infants travel with us when you're you know like at whatever stage they are and i get that sometimes it's like hey it's going to be easier to not travel because we have you know three kids under the age like i I I get you have to take it all into account
3: i mean to be frank it's always easier not to i think that's the piece that people have to get over it is definitely easier not to travel with young children but you know, I think a lot of times we would have situations where our kids would be melting down about something, and I would say to Joey, "Remember, getting through this meltdown is what gets us, what allows us to travel." And and we you know we have to we ha- will have the meltdowns every so often, and it is it is definitely much easier. But it's it's also easier once you have systems in place, and once you've done it, once you have like your various best, you know, your your best practices, you know, too.
0: Totally, I love some of those best practices. The other thing I would offer is if you are on a plane. And you have children. I, I can't tell you how many moms I've pulled into my row, like on Southwest. Cause I flew Southwest a lot in Phoenix. Cause it was just a hub there. So it's open seating. Right. And I flew enough to where I, there's no first class, right. I get business class. So I'd be one of the first ones on. And I see this poor mom coming who's just like dreading where she's going to sit. And I'd always grab her and be like, you're sitting next to me. And she'd be like, are you sure? I was like, I got five kids. She's like, you know, so it's like, look, you're good. I'll hold your baby. I'll help you. So like, he's
3: regularly handing me his laptop bag so he can help a, a mom with a stroller or a dad with the, you know, or whatever. Yeah. It's like,
0: so it's like, if you're on a plane and you just can have some awareness of like a young family getting on, inviting yeah. them to sit next to you or give up your seat so that a couple can sit next to you, like just that helps families trying to travel as well.
1: And yeah. I think as you go, it it builds your confidence. Like you feel like, you know, your baby is, you know, zero to two, but you're like, I did it and I know I can do it. So as they get older, you just keep going, building your confidence. And now I feel like it's getting physically easier, you know, we're not hauling strollers and things, but we know that we can that we can do it.
0: Well, we're gonna go back to Arizona here probably um for a week. And um, but the way I'm gonna do a business trip on the back end, so Melissa's gonna fly back by herself, you know, and for a lot of to fly back with five kids between the ages of 14 and four by yourself, and Melissa was like. And the kids were like, Yeah. And I know they'll do great. Like, you know, they'll be fine, but that's because it's come with some some reps. Yeah. And and let's be candid, mom deserves a gold medal for that. Great job, Melissa.
2: Like that, that's huge.
1: I haven't and, done it yet.
2: <laughs> and I have every faith that you can do it. Hmm. Because you've done all these other things leading up till now. So it's like there's always going to be the next adventure that is more difficult than the previous one or harder. And it's like if we build the reps with uh, let's go to the public library by ourselves and respectfully, dads, dads can do a better job of this, too, like just flat out. Like nine times out of 10, mom's the one that's taken, like I got to the point where I would take our boys to the grocery store and people would come up and be like, oh, it's so great to see you out doing it. And I was like, do you say this to my wife when she's here? Like, do you go out of your way to say to a mom walking through the grocery store with two kids, look at you, get on with your bad self. This is awesome. You are doing a great (laughs) job, mom. No, we don't do that because in our society, we kind of presume, well, that's the mom job. It's like, no, that's a parent job or a guardian job or whoever it is. And let's go out of our way. To, I, I remember very vividly Barrett and I, we were, I was walking into it. We were on the road. We're at a target in Minneapolis and we're going into, but we had just flown in, we had landed and we were going to get some stuff for the baby. And I walked in and a mom's coming out with a stroller with a four-year-old that is just like, has had a day. Like it is over. It was full meltdown. And the mom came by and she made eye contact with me. And I could tell she was just mortified. Like, And I was like, you are doing a great job. And she was like, Oh, thanks. I was like, no, seriously, it's a big deal. You're doing a great job. Kudos for you. It's 10 o'clock at night. She's out trying to get groceries for her family. And it's like, we could just, if we could all bring a little more grace to the table with the other parents that we see and with ourselves, like, guess what? They lived like that. That's, that's my, (laughs) and again, I think a lot of dads have this criteria, not to over stereotype, but I'm like, are they all still breathing? Is anyone bleeding and the bleeding won't stop? Well, then we are hashtag winning. If the, if the answer to both those questions are no, we are doing a great job. Instead of this, are they getting into Harvard? Well, they're two. So maybe we could not worry about that today.
0: Like it's okay. Like just pace yourself a little.
1: I love that. Yeah.
0: Well, I love this. I love this conversation. And I could keep talking with you guys forever. We might have to do, we might have to do a follow-up to this around two, but this is incredible. I, I know for me some takeaways, we're already committed to books. But I, I'm just, again, the reminder to double down on books. Like, it's so true. Hey, you're interested in this? Okay, a book, either at the public library, right? I love this idea of just doubling down on travel. Like, we're just going to expose our children to experiences, things, places, new, new experiences, new opportunities. And I love the principles of, you know, never lose a customer and applying those different mediums of communication to build those muscles now. And, and bear what you said, like, yeah, it's never going to be easy. It's always going to be easier not to. So yeah, it's awesome. Thank you guys so much for coming and joining the Family Brand Podcast. The fact that you've been faithful listeners and now to have you on is just, yeah, it's an honor for us.
1: I'd love to allow you a minute like to share any, any final thoughts or words that, that you'd like to share.
3: Well, we have actually scheduled our official family brand weekend for a month from now. We've done some work on our own. So we have learned so much from the two of you and, are, and have applied some of it already and are looking to really formalize it in the next month. So we will report back Oh, awesome. our, our family values. We've got, we've got some in play already, but really offic- making them official with our boys. So we'd like to thank you for what you brought to our family.
2: I love that absolutely, and 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 I'll and I'll just say that thanks to both of you for what you're doing, and thanks to everybody who's listening to these conversations. I think being a parent is hard, and I think we need to give ourselves more grace and more accolades for the job we are doing. Like I, most of the parents I know are pretty good at listing out the things that they're not doing well with their kids, but struggle when it's like, when you try to point out the things they are doing, well, yeah, yeah, but look at this other thing. And it's like, no, let, let's not just gloss over the fact mm-hmm. that you're raising kind human beings, the ra- the fact that you're raising loving human beings, you know, the things that I think at the end of the day matter more than can your kid get this scholarship? Can your kid run this company? Can your kid letter in this sport, whatever it may be? It's like, yeah, th- those things naturally progress towards that. But, you know, one of the things we talked about is, you know, we, we'd love Coleman's like the Coleman family. We'd love Coleman's are known to be kind. Mm -hmm. Like if we, if our boys were known as being really kind, I feel like we get to go into the grave feeling like we did our job as parents, Mm -hmm. like, and all the other stuff has a tendency to take care of itself. Just,
0: are we being kind? Okay, good. Mm -hmm. I love that. Love that. Well, I think you're well on the way from what I, uh, from what I know of, uh, of you guys, and what you told us about our boys. So we're so honored and can't wait to hear. Yeah. The outcome of what the, what the Coleman family brand ends up becoming. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for having thank us. You.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Hey there. Thanks for listening to today's episode.
1: To show our appreciation, we want to offer you a free gift. We have an incredible online course you can get now by going to familybrand.com or by following the link in the show notes.
0: And while you're there at FamilyBrand.com, be sure to follow us on social media so that we can go on this journey together.
1: Lastly, if this podcast has impacted you, we ask that you share it with another powerful family in your life and be sure to subscribe or follow so you never miss an episode.
0: We will see you in the next episode.